0: The end and turn your Bibles back to Romans 14. A passage that I was expecting to finish last week, and, and just the timing of things, I just felt, yeah, we need to come back to this again this week rather than trying to cover it all at once. Um, part of that is uh, my using a lot of illustrations and examples to be helpful. Um, most of them I've been happy with. A couple of them I thought, no, nah, I probably won't use those again. But I hope, as we've been giving a, a lot of different examples about conscience issues, um, among other things, um, that it has been helpful. I mean, really, we want this to be very practical in thinking through how... <clears throat> um, Paul describes how we're supposed to respond with these conscience conviction sensitivities, these um, issues of conscience perception issues. And so in the midst of all that, we've we've covered a lot of ground, we've covered a lot of details, and I just wanna go back over the whole passage to make sure that we have a, a basic understanding of some things here. Of what Paul is doing and how he's moving this discussion and his argument in this so so that we can better understand. And even as I have studied this, I feel like the Lord has given me more understanding than I've had in the past. And just how things fit together and the, um, the structure of the argument that Paul is is giving here. And I think so we're going to continue to go over this and we're going to finish um, with verse 12. And so last week I called this a fully convinced conscience and this tonight will be a fully convinced conscience part two. That'll make it easy for us. And obviously, again, what have we said? The conscience is certainly a very important gift that God has given to us. It's vital and we must understand and we must um, obey the conscience that God has given to us, but it must also be submitted uh, to the Lord. And these different issues, many times people misunderstand how to deal with their conscience. And so hopefully um, we're getting some clarity involved in this. Um, One of of the greatest um, points in this whole argument, uh, people can come to this issue and say, Well, um, I think I'm the strong person, and that means I have Christian liberty in this matter to do whatever I want to do, because that's what liberty means. And we're good Americans, and we know what freedom and liberty means. It means to do whatever we think is best. That's not what Christian liberty is. Uh, The Bible presents Christian liberty as the freedom, the ability to follow after Jesus and obey him. And some people may say, well, that doesn't sound like liberty. Well, folks, if you've been enslaved to sin and Jesus has joyously and wondrously saved you, and now you have the ability, the liberty to obey him and follow after him, that is a joy. And it should be. And the more we understand our relationship with Christ, we should praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you enable me and that, that you guide me in my conscience and that you guide me through the spirit to be able to have the liberty to obey you that I didn't have before, enslaved to my sin, headed toward eternal destiny and hell. And now I get to experience spiritual growth and the liberty to um, put that into action. That's really what Christian liberty is all about. Um, And the most important thing in all of this then is what we feel like we have the freedom to do in our conscience to make sure, be fully convinced that God has given us that freedom. And remember, two different people can, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, Jesus can lead them to different conclusions in their conscience. But folks, again, as we saw last week, we must be fully convinced of God's leading us in this way. For each individual, look at ourselves, look within, study God's word. And so uh, we're going to continue to look at that um, tonight. But let's start back at chapter 4 and verse 1. And again, I want to see the flow of this. Because remember, um, Paul begins... chapter 14. Chapter 14, what did I say? Four. Oh, yeah, don't go to four. You'll be confused. I mean, it's a great chapter. Romans is a great book. But thank you. Thank you. Chapter 14, verse one. And remember, Paul, we saw this two weeks ago. Paul initially in this discussion talks about how to interact with fellow believers who have different sensitivities in their conscience and he tells them to welcome each other and don't quarrel. Don't be like we saw in Philippians this morning in Yodius uh, and Syntyche and they're quarreling and fighting. Paul says, Don't do that. Let's look at verse 1 as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now I'm not going to rehash that whole thing. Um, we, we talked about that just a couple weeks ago and hopefully that's still fresh on your mind, but I just want to make it clear that Paul is addressing our reactions toward other believers, the, um, the strong believer, toward the, the weak believer, the weak toward the strong. And remember the difference there. Um, the weak is, Paul describes, and it seems the best way to understand the weak person is a person who still is not fully informed in their conscience yet, um, And so they have, they are very sensitive about a particular issue um, and they can't follow through and commit themselves to whatever that would be. We've gone through multiple examples. I won't go through a bunch more tonight, but it does, Paul does seem to be leaving room here when he talks about the weak person in these verses, that there is room for growth, that there is hope that the more that this person, um, Grows in his Christian life, um, seeks out the word of God, uh, gets a fuller understanding of the issue. And the example here that it gives, that Paul gives again, is this issue about food. The weak person in this case thinks that eating only vegetables is um, what God prescribes. Um, And there is the understanding that maybe the more that he studies that out, There'll be more growth. Okay, that's key to that weak person argument. At the same time, the strong person has been um, convinced and understands the truth of this, that he may eat anything. Remember Peter and in the, in the sheet and all of that? And um, God has given uh, that freedom, and the person who is, stro- who is stronger um, in their faith, so to speak, um, understands that better than the weak person. I will add this caveat though, as we get into the next passage again and kind of summarize that. I do think there may, that there is the um, indication here that the strong person may have some room for growth too in this, that um, even though he is, he has the right position in this conscience sensitivity that part of the reason that he is tempted to despise the weak is because maybe he's come across, stumbled across the truth of this, but he still hasn't fully studied it out and understand it for himself as well. I think actually there's room there's room for growth with both people, possibly the strong person as well, because then Paul, after describing how to get along with each other, The strong doesn't despise the weak. Many times you hear um, people thinking they're the strong person, calling the weak person a legalist or something like that in a very disdainful, despising way. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't have that attitude. And at the same time, the weak person looking at the strong and, and judging them and saying, oh, you're so worldly. How could you do that? and Paul's very clear here as well hey what what are you doing judging another master servant you're not the master over that ser- servant and you may wonder how that person can attain spiritual growth and actually allow themselves to be involved and and to have the freedom to do that particular thing but don't worry god's got this god will uphold them and they don't need your Um, sensitive standard of the weak to grow. The Lord is able to make him to stand. God will help that person who's in the strong category to stand uh, even in exercising their freedom. So we have this back and forth between the weak and the strong. But now Paul turns a corner, and this is what I wanna make sure that we're clear about in verses five through nine. And he moves beyond the weak and the strong argument. In discussion. And here's what I think Paul's saying. Paul's saying there's a lot of disagreement in churches with conscience, and this is uh, verses one through four, how you handle it, and he's going to continue through the rest of Romans to give us more instruction and in how to handle weak versus strong issues. But I think, I believe now Paul comes to this point, and this is this is the overarching principle and thing that we must understand in the midst of all this argument. And he says, this is the better way. Move beyond the weak and the strong. And notice how he doesn't even refer to the weak and the strong, but now he more generally says one person does this, one person does this. And he gives some examples here. And now at the first four verses, he has been um, dealing with, our relations with others, now he's saying, look inward, check yourself, you be sure you do self evaluation, you go to God, and look at your own situation and make sure that God is pleased with what you're doing, instead of looking at everybody else. And so I think what he's saying here is move beyond that weak versus strong and make and you be each person be fully convinced their own mind by going to god and studying god's word and studying the issue out and basically in just saying lord does this please you for me to be involved in this and then we don't have to worry about the categories of the weak and the strong because god will show us he will convince us what he wants us to do and that may be different from one person on this side of the room to one person on this side of the room but if you're fully convinced then we can still move together in unity, and we should. And remember that uh, stress this morning in the Gospel of John, Jesus making unity among believers such a priority. You can't miss that, right? It's important. So let's read verses 5 through 9 again with that understanding. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. And basically, each one should be convinced in his own mind. So, we gave this as an example. We won't go into a lot of detail about this again, but one person says, I want to set aside this day to specially celebrate the Lord. And another says, I don't need to do that. I can honor the Lord in every day. And we gave lots of examples. Either one is fine. As long as you have prayed about it and you are fully convinced in your own mind, through the guiding of the spirit, not your own opinion, that this pleases God. That is the better way. Don't be satisfied, weak person, with remaining weak. Strong person, make sure that you have fully looked at this and make sure that, yes, you have the right position, but can you explain your position? Do you know from God's word why your position is the stronger one? And let's move beyond because when we are in a position of weak versus strong, the temptation and the possibility for disputes and arguing um, can come very quickly. Verse six, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. There's that um, example again. And now he goes... Now, look, he's moved the argument past meat versus vegetables or eating anything versus vegetables. Now it's more general, and he doesn't use the words weak or strong. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, um, since he gives thanks to to God. While the one who abstains, we don't know what he abstains from, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. This example again. Paul says some may be able to eat certain things and he doesn't even tell us what those are. Others may not be able to eat certain things, but each one has been fully convinced by the spirit. They have submitted their conscience to God and he has guided them to their position. And so the one that that can eat gives thanks to God. Lord, thank you for providing this and the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. Lord, Lord, Um, Thank you that you have guided me to this position and to, and, um, to honor you in this way. And I thank you as well. And both can even eat together under those circumstances, right? Because both are firmly convinced for them that God has guided them in this way. Because, back to that Christian liberty thing, it's not all about in the end what we want, We don't, as believers, Jesus died. And that's, I'm getting ahead of myself here because we're going back over that in verse nine. Jesus has the right to tell us what to do. In verse seven, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Um, Our lives are the Lord. He owns us. And that may sound a little radical, but it, it shouldn't bother us. Why? Because Paul makes it clear. He says, whether we live or we die, we're the Lord's. We're not our own to do with what we want. Well, how, can, how come Jesus gets that kind of authority? Why can't I just do what I want to do? Why do I have to please God with all of these conscience issues? Well, Paul makes it clear, because Jesus died and rose again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And that stops the argument, or it should Jesus says, I died to be able to um, be Lord of your life. And we say, all right, submit to the Lord. So Lord, in this conscience sensitivity issue, what do you want me to do? What would best please you? And this person over here says, Lord, in this same issue, what would please you? This is what I would like to do. This is what I would like to be involved in. The Lord, in the end, It's what pleases you. And both people can, in greater unity, rather than the weak and the strong, better to have, in other words, better to have, rather than a weak or a strong, better to have both sides, two people, fully convinced in the Lord. That is the best scenario, right? Less opportunity for arguing. And for more opportunity for unity. When Everyone in the church says, I submit to Christ, and whatever he wants me to do with my life, that's what I will do. This takes time. This takes meditation on God's word, right? And consideration, folks, really, of every area of our life. Um, Example, I love coffee. I think many of you know that. Many of you share that love with me. Even something as simple as drinking coffee, Um, according to Paul here, I have to take that before the Lord and say, Lord, is it okay for me to drink coffee? Does that best please you? And I, I continue to think through these things. Now, as I prayed about that, I've sensed the Lord giving me the freedom still to drink coffee, and I'm glad for that. But if for some reason... Or there may be a time period in my life where the doctor says no coffee for a while. And obviously that's the Lord saying, okay, give it up for for my glory. Um, And that would be fine. And I would say, okay, that's obviously the Lord's work in in my life. But even something as simple as that, everything that we do, every activity that we're involved in, um, these different issues then, do we use a credit card? Where do we go on vacation? What type of entertainment do we allow ourselves to see? Where do we allow ourselves to see that entertainment? Do we go to sporting events? Do we go to public um, uh, events and all of these things? And of course, uh, we talked about the whole COVID issue. not going to jump back into that. Uh, Again, all of these things, we go not on our own wisdom in the end and what we want to do, but we go to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? And God will make it clear. Yes, we can be fully convinced in these areas, each of us, that yes, this is what God wants me to do. My conscience agrees with that. And there is a peace and a satisfaction and joy knowing that we are obeying a correctly calibrated conscience. When we seek out what he says here to be fully convinced, it's really giving our conscience over to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you show me and fix my conscience so that I can better serve you. Okay? All right. So, the better way is for each of us to be fully convinced in our minds. And unity comes with that. But Paul continues here and we've we've covered this again. We'll just cover this briefly here again. Verse 7. Oh, I'm sorry. I covered I covered that. I covered all that in um, just a few minutes ago. Um, so let's, let's move on then to verses 10 through 12. let me say this. Everything I just said about being convinced in our own mind, it's pretty cut and dry, right? Makes sense. So it should be really easy then to just be fully convinced in every area of your life. Just do it. Okay. Go out and just give it over to the Lord. Real simple. Wouldn't it be nice if you could have a computer program? You could program your conscience, you know, and you, you program, and it's like, oh, there we go. Everything's taken care of. Um, I think we understand, folks, this is a process. And Paul's not painting this as snap your fingers, pray once to God, and your conscience, just in every matter, just it's there. Paul understands we have to study these things out. We have to take the time. We have to, in in other words, it really is a form of devotion to take the time and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? In in our minds, we can't think of every scenario that's going to come up or everything or every opportunity until it comes, until it happens. And let me just go back over for this, because this is important for us to understand. Paul knows that these convictions of conscience on these different issues take time. Think about this. Remember my categories. We talked about the four categories, gospel issues, moral issues, uh, and under moral issues, biblical conclusions, issues that the Bible makes clear are wrong, even if it doesn't state it explicitly. We talked about denominational distinctions and then conscience issues. Um, All of these we continue to grow in, even gospel issues. Don't we throughout our lives continue to grow in our knowledge of what Jesus has done for us and continue to appreciate that and continue to grow in our faith and, and conviction? Even with that most important issue we're growing. And I've I've heard a few others say this. If you have said this or used this argument, um, I'm not aware of that. So I'm not pinpointing you, but it it does. It's always bothered me. And it comes even with this, this um, issue of our growth in the gospel and our understanding gospel. Maybe you've heard this friend would sometimes in conversations with others where he realized that he was not, they were not being convinced by scripture about their need for Christ would throw this argument in and says, look, let's say that I'm wrong as a Christian. What have I lost? You know, I've lived a good moral life. Um, I've taught my family how to live and, and you know, um, been a good example for them. Um, there's nothing that I've lost. But if you're wrong, you lose everything. So from that, and you can kind of get a natural, practical persuasion out of that. Yeah, that's right. You know what? I'm kind of gambling here. I need to trust Christ. But I've never really appreciated that argument because it almost sounds like the other person is kind of capitulating in one way or another that they're not fully convinced. And if I'm wrong, well, you know, what have I got to lose? What have I lost? Well, not that much. Well, the point is, you're not wrong. Don't even give people that inroad. And sometimes even my point is with people that have been saved a long time and that have trusted Christ, they're still growing in their conviction and their faith about the gospel. How about these moral issues? You know, we've had opportunity even since I started this for some of you to talk with me and email me and say, what about this issue? What about this issue? And folks, you know this This world is very creative with um, how do I put this uh, bringing up new forms of the same sin that we have to think through i'll uh, just I throw this out since it was mentioned. Uh, somebody mentioned to me about what do you do about all this all these tattoos and piercings and everything? Well, it wasn't that long ago. it was a pretty simple standard answer, right. But now you have young people, I I know young people that that serve the Lord and and love him and have decided to get a a small tattoo on their wrist or on their arm. Um, And, you know, this thing that for me is a moral issue, especially with the extreme tattoos. If you've ever seen some of these folks, it it literally, you hurt for them, um, where they have tattoos all over their body, their face, and they even change their eye color. It's, It's really disturbing and you say that's that's a moral issue there's no doubt about that but when it comes to the outgrowth in some of these things and the body piercings well what about a pierced there you know obviously most of us don't have a problem with that it it kind of goes into conscience issues and so we continue to find ourselves as we grow in our faith um to be working through these moral issues. Lord, how would you best want me to handle a situation where somebody is considering getting a tattoo? And and I believe that that's wrong. They really shouldn't do that. But how can I still be loving toward them and, and, and have influence in their life? So this moral category, we're constantly thinking through and growing in. And then we talked about the different denominational issues this morning. Well, certainly, then, folks, wouldn't it stand a reason that when it comes to these conscience issues, it's going to take us a while, right? Oh, it'd be wonderful if we could just get this all set, Lord, just tell me everything you want me to do, give me perfect faith, and I'm good to go. That'd be wonderful, but it's not it's not what happens we have we We are going through a state of spiritual progressive sanctification of continuing to grow in these things, and so yes. The ideal, back to my point here, Paul gives the ideal, the the goal that we all work towards is being fully convinced in our conscience in everything, but it's a process. So that's why Paul has to go back and say, in the meantime, here's how you handle it when you run into somebody who's weak and sensitive in the conscience. And you strong in your conscience. You be careful. You make sure you don't cause them to stumble because this is a process and we want to show the love of Christ and we want to have unity. So here's how you handle these things. But with the understanding that we all are supposed to um, head toward the goal of being fully convinced in everything, that's the goal we want in our lives and in every issue, that's, that's what we want, even in the process. We don't give that up. We want to be fully convinced, and that is the goal. Now, so I'll, I'll, I'll use this opportunity to point out something that somebody asked me. But actually, it's a really good point. Is it wrong for the strong person to explain their position? Now, we're as we continue to get in Romans, the rest of Romans 14, the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that Paul tells us, he indicates that the strong needs to be very careful not to try to dissuade the weak from their conscience sensitivities, that that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the strong shouldn't take the opportunity to say, hey, come on, man, I can't believe that you would have that kind of sensitivity. Don't you know that we, you know, the Bible says that we have this freedom and You know, you're just, you're hindering yourself. And, you know, just, if you would just think through this a little more, you'd come to be like me. Uh, Paul makes it clear later on, that's the wrong attitude for the strong to have. We're not supposed to try to dissuade from the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in one's life. Because if we're not the Holy Spirit, and we may try to persuade somebody to do something, that God doesn't want them doing at this point in their life. And it's really, if you want to take the strong person's position in this, it's arrogant to say, oh, I know. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> Only God knows. So we have to be very careful. So some respected pastors that, that I know and I've listened to on this issue actually take this line of thinking that you should never, if you sense a sensitivity in another person, that you shouldn't even ever broach that subject. And I can appreciate that. But the more I've studied this, the more I've seen, Paul. Paul, see, I think Paul makes this clear that the weak still has room for growth. And how do we grow? Through reading God's word, through prayer. But God uses people. God uses people to disciple us. So back to the question that somebody asked me, that was a very good question. Is it ever wrong for the strong, or let's just say one person on one side, let's even put it past the weak and the strong, a person with one position to explain why they do what they do. And I, after praying about this, really believe, yes, I I think that's fine. There's a big difference between explaining, this is why I do this or I don't do this with someone else. And come on, you're too worldly, do what I'm doing, or come on, you're too legalistic, enjoy what I'm enjoying. There's a big difference between that and just saying, well, this is what God has done in my life, and I feel like I have the freedom, or I feel like I don't have the freedom to do that. And in that conversation, what actually might happen is one side or both sides may find out, you know, I'm really not sure. Fully what God thinks about this. And they might be convinced to go further and do what Paul says and make sure that they're fully convinced on both sides. I think there's room here for some interaction as long as we're not trying to be the Holy Spirit. Here's the final thing as we finish up here that's so important that Paul reminds us of that as we're working on being fully convinced in each of these areas in our life. He says, I know it's a process, but avoid the temptation to pass judgment or despise that brother. He's back to this. He's saying, being fully convinced is better. It's the way you want to go, it's the direction, it's the goal to that we're that we're pleasing God in every aspect of our life. Because otherwise, we're going to be tempted to judge or to despise, and that has serious consequences, and that's what verses 10 through 12 talk about. Let's look at these, because our lives will be accountable to God alone. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Remember that? That is the um, weak's tendency toward the strong, or you. Why do you despise? He's talking, pointing the finger at the strong. Why do you despise your brother? can't believe they wouldn't have that position that's crazy no both of those attitudes are wrong and Paul says be careful because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and then he quotes a verse in Isaiah 45 to back up his statement therefore it is written as I live says the Lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God and Isaiah 45 23 is is that verse that Paul is saying, and basically what Paul is saying here is in a general sense, there is a judge that you will face one day, and it's not your fellow believer, but it is much more serious. so you don't be that judge in somebody else's life. you don't be the one that judges someone else, you don't be the one that disdains and despises someone else with your comments. Because there's only one person who gets to do that, and that's God. And here he's pointing really, um, he's pointing to Jesus Christ, who will be doing this. And then he describes in verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, as we finish up here, we need some more understanding on this because this is so serious. What is this referring to? Obviously, this these are believers standing before, and it seems like this is referring to the Bema seat of judgment, um, and it is Christ that will be sitting on that throne, but what kind of judgment is this? This is important. I misunderstood this when I was a young man, and I was constantly in fear as a believer that somehow I was still going, and I, I couldn't even really articulate it, but that somehow, because um, the leadership in my life left this kind of vague, I almost had the idea I'm still going to be in front of Christ in judgment, and there's a possibility I may not get to heaven, and I'm going to be judged at the bema seat. Anybody thought through this? Pam? Is this where the draws? Burned away, and only what we have left in our crown is cast to him and. And I always think of how how many jewels, after everything's done, are going to be still in my crown so yeah. if correctly. Yes, and we all on. thought that. Yeah, yeah. The word, and, and and actually, yeah. I used to have another dear friend who would say you know what, I don't think I'm getting any rewards, because every time I do something for God, then I go ahead and have an attitude, or I say something that goes right. that messes it all up, and I would turn back to him, well, remember, God's grace, <laughs> <Praise> <laughs> or, or none of us are going to get any rewards, let's remember God's, remember Jesus and his description of disciples um, that we talked about in John, not too long after they've been arguing over who is the greatest, you know, um, Jesus will see us through, but yes, And that's in first Corinthians chapter three, 12 through 15. So is that describing what we refer to as the white, great white throne judgment? Okay. This is important distinction. The great white throne judgment is the judgment is the seat that Christians will not be a part of. Praise God, because that will be the final judgment decision uh, where where, um, unbelievers will stand before jesus and he will say to them depart from me i never knew you folks believers will never hear that from jesus christ praise the lord and i i I think though there are still christians today that misunderstand this and they torture themselves they think in some way they miss they they mix up these two seats of judgment And we need to help people understand we will never face that final judgment because Jesus took that judgment on himself. And we have his righteousness and we look forward to uh, life, eternal life with God forever. And that's not in doubt. But this Bema seat is described in first Corinthians three, just turn there real quick. So we have an understanding of what Paul's talking about here and You folks just made reference to this. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but though he himself will be saved, he will maintain his salvation, even though his works were meager and they were burned up and his rewards are less. There is a measure of rewards that certain people will receive over others. And how that all works, we still kind of in the dark in some ways. But what we want to do is make sure that we're being faithful to Jesus Christ. And now Paul, back in Romans 4, kind of sums it all up in verse 12, that we will give an account of himself, of ourselves, excuse me, to God. What that means is each of us will give an account, and not to a fellow believer, ultimately. Ultimately, as a pastor, I will not give an account to you as as the flock, but I will give an account to Jesus Christ one day, that I can count on, and He will weigh what I've done. And Paul is pointing out that in the midst of this accounting, that He will be asking us, amongst other things, two things in relation to this chapter. He will be first of all reviewing whether we unnecessarily judged others, judged or despised. And I can imagine him saying, why did you think you had the freedom or liberty to do that when I am the judge? There'll be shame there. But the other thing that he will also keep us, he will give, we will give an account for him is in our conscience. Did we submit our conscience to the Lord? Did we, pursue um, that everything that we had done in our lives was pleasing uh, the, uh, the the decision excuse me <laughs> it'd be nice if everything that we did in our lives pleased the lord again there's grace there but in the conscience choices in the convictions that we had did we submit those before god were we as paul said did we pursue being fully convinced in our minds That the Holy Spirit wanted us to have this conviction or not. Folks, both of these, Jesus will ask us and we will give an account for one day. And we need to take that seriously. So these conscience issues really are important. And the way we respond to others while they continue to go through the process of being fully convinced is important too. Why? Take it back this morning. Unity. True biblical unity of people in the church, is that important to Jesus. And we can experience that. We can be patient with those who have not fully convinced yet, and they'll be patient with us too. But in the meantime, striving, Lord, to the best of my ability, I want to make sure that every decision that I make and every conviction that I have has come from you, that you have led me, and I have submitted myself to your spirit, and I am fully convinced in my liberties and in my convictions against sin that this is what you have for me. And at the same time, with a brother or sister that may differ in these conscience issues, welcome, let's worship together in unity, let's be the example of the love of God that we talked about this morning and the gospel of Christ as we're unified together and serve him effectively. This is the overarching principle that we have as we continue this uh, discussion. A fully convinced conscience is one that is submitted to the Holy Spirit. Father, this is so important. And as we continue to see now in the next few weeks, of more of how the weak and the strong should interact. We're going to see a lot more responsibility on the strong who may be more fully convinced in their position to be patient, to be careful with the one who's not fully convinced yet. And so show the love of Christ. But Lord, I pray that as we finish up tonight, that each person in here will have been motivated, will have a desire stoked in their heart, to want to be pleasing to you. And also to desire the unity of the body that is so important to you. You are our head, And you don't want our body disputing and quarreling and fighting. But working together to proclaim your son. Christ is our head. And to proclaim him to a world that needs him. So help us. Help us to pursue being fully convinced in every area of our life and help us to pursue unity with those who you've led to think a little differently on these things and serve together and see the power of Christ working in us until he returns. And This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.